All right, folks, we're back on Vision of Zion with Sean White. We had some technical difficulties, which we think we've ironed out. Sean, I want to go back to something that you said about uh, seeing uh, the prayers as uh, as light. And I want to read uh, just a little excerpt from a book, There Is No Death. It's written by Sarah Manette. And this is what she said on page 67. She talks about uh, this is the aftermath of some issues in the United States, I believe. That's what she said here. She said, as I looked upon this scene of chaos, smoke, and destruction, I noticed that there were small pockets of light scattered over the United States, perhaps 20 or 30 of them. I noticed that most of the locations of light were in the western parts of the United States. I'm going to skip down. And then here's what she says about it. Because she was able to zoom in on it or focus on it. I was then able to see that these points of light were people who had gathered together and were kneeling in prayer. The light was actually coming from the people, and I understood that it was showing forth their goodness and love for each other. That sounds very consistent, Sean, with what you were describing about a mother's prayer. Yes. I have since seen been taken away and seen more detail. And uh, most recently, I had seen it almost looked like a beehive of uh, connection to one another and how different each one of our lights are. Um, just in the way we live our lives and stuff, and these brighter, more beautiful lights are coming from those that are sharing and working together. But it was such a beautiful combination of light that I saw around the earth and in different spots um, through this energy that we seem to be giving off of these different colors. It was incredible. Well, I have no doubt, but that my wife's prayers are heard she is so earnest and so embedded in my children's lives uh and it shows so much more concern uh even though they're grown and gone now um she's really really i can see why the the prayers of the mothers burn brightly before the lord what did you want to cover next sean well, we probably want to go to the final scenes there, but there is more to talk about later, I believe, as we want to go back in more detail, like on the lights and the people gathering. Um, but let's go to this this scene after this where I had uh, I had gone through all these experiences and what I was shown that would be my role here on the earth in the future. And as I got to the end of these scenes, there were tears in my eyes and I was pleading with the Savior to send me back and I finally got on my knees and was crying and saying please send me back if I can't be there to help my friends and to help them have faith hope and courage to lighten their load it won't be worth it and I thought of a grand party of all of us hugging at the end of this experience and and telling stories and i wanted this feeling of all my friends together that i connected with and helping them so i was on my knees pleading and the savior turned to me and said sean as you have seen you could lose your way and you could lose everything wow so 
do you want to do this? And I was pleaded that I would go back. So as I so came can I back, can I ask you a question first before you go into sure. as you came back? It sounds like you had a choice to stay in heaven or to return. You were about to say, "Oh yeah, I want to stay. This is good. It's this good energy and." all my relatives who I don't even remember, but now I know who they are. And man, I'm feeling great. I don't never want to go back down there. And then the savior says, well, hold on there before you pull that trigger, before you decide, <laughs> let me give you some advice and, and counsel before you decide. So I love this fact that it's still your choice, but the savior then shows you what effect you can have. If, and if you decided to fulfill your mission and go back, what the impact could be. And after you saw that, then you decided, oh man, I, I want to go back. Is that, is, am I describing what happened? Exactly. And even in more intensity, because with all of my being and all my soul, I wanted to go back where before I was just so totally to give up. But the love that I had for these friends and the situations that I saw in the future that I could help and uh, the joyous time, especially after it's over, was beyond anything I could comprehend. And so I thirsted. I wanted this so badly. You know, you have to wonder, Sean, if the Savior, when he contemplated the atonement and coming down to this earth for all of us, if he maybe did get a glimpse of the incredible joy he would feel then decided it'd be worth it if he did it. I, I never thought about that before. I know that without a shadow of a doubt. And I have seen others like Elohim that have felt the exact same way that the love and the wanting to see us succeed and the, the hugs after it's over with. How, how so do we get it superior. so, how do we get it so wrong in this life that we think selfishness and self-centeredness and looking out for number one, how do we get this so reversed when on the other side, it is so clear? I know. I think, well, we know that Lucifer and those that chose to go with him are running rampant here. And it's really hard to comprehend a third of the population that was up there chose to go with him. And so they are trying their best to con still convince us that our decision was wrong. And so we don't have that light and that understanding that we had on the other side. And it's kind of a constant mystery or thing to fight our way back to who we were and who we really are inside. Okay. Okay. Well, so now we're at the point where uh, you decide yeah, wow, the the payoff is much bigger, and you thirsted after uh, the desire to do good. What happened next? Well, I immediately left, and I went back to my body, and it's now about 5 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I had about a half hour before I had to start doing chores, and I just laid there, and because of my experiences in the past of going without air for a while and stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have the worst headache of my life, you know, and I didn't. And I was lifted and I laid there just basking 
in the experience that I just had. And like, I just almost didn't want to feel the sheets and the things around me because I was wanting to just feel this love and everything that I'd just gone through. Okay. And let me ask one question, a, Sean. I'm, I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but uh, if I don't say it now, I'm going to forget it. So a lot of people, when they have a traumatic uh physical injury like a car crash and then or they're on the operating table and they leave their body and go up and have this type of experience when they come back into their body they just it's like they say it's like getting stuffed into this small space and it's very painful to return you didn't experience that well i i knew i had to feel again which was cumbersome but and i longed because we had traveled without pain of any kind or without pressure of any kind and, and that was an amazing amazing feeling and so as i laid there just trying to keep those feelings of where i was at and kind of almost like not wanting to feel the sheets around me or not wanting to feel the other things like i i'm back here but just bask in this what i just experienced versus the touching and the feeling of this body and the weight of this body because the, the weight of it's a lot heavier than what any of us can imagine and how freeing it is to just travel without a body wow okay so as you were waking up and how long have you been gone do you figure time-wise i wanted to nail that down from about 10 o'clock at night till five in the morning wow Wow, in a spiritual time, that is a long time. It is because, you know, I've had other experiences since then, and they're a few minutes long or 10 minutes long, and uh, how much information can be packed into a short period of time. And as I left, the Savior did tell me that there were many things that I would forget because it would be burdensome to my life. But as I went on, that I would, things would spark and I would remember and would know things that would help me with the, my mission and the things I needed to do. And that has been so true. Wow. But I remember getting up and feeding the cows and uh, the horses and just, just almost like my feet weren't touching the ground, basking in this light and then going to school. And I remember not even really saying anything through the day and just kind of like, standing back against the walls and just watching everybody and just feeling this glow. And I noticed people looking at me a little bit differently. And since then, with other experiences, when I leave my body, I find people staring at me, you know, and stuff. And I have found that that energy that's left with you or that residue of that light stays with you. And they're wondering why is it, there's something different here and they're, you know, magnetized to what's this different light with him? What's this different feeling when I'm near him? Wow. And I love that. So as I went through the, the day and came back home that night, I was just still a bit like, could this really have happened? I've never known anybody or heard of anybody that this has happened to. And I was laying there praying and praying and going, if this was real, will you allow me to leave my body again? And I left my body and was up at the ceiling looking down at my body and stuff for a few minutes. And then I came back in and I did this one other night verifying again 
And then by the time I asked the third time, if you can believe it, it says two witnesses is good enough. You know, you gotta, gotta live with this. I'll tell you, so, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, my, I mentioned Alfred Douglas Young. He had his out of body experience in, uh, and he, it was in a forested area. He was with his brother, William Young. And when he came back to his body, his brother had caught him before he hit the ground. And then, was with him for the four hours by his side when he came to he started to tell his brother all the wonderful things that had happened to him uh and his brother said he didn't believe it and he said and the spirit said touch your brother and so he touched him and he was knocked out cold and then the spirit told him to i don't know how much time passed to touch him again and he came up and he said oh man i'm never going to deny that again <laughs> <laughs> I know what you saw is from God. So powerful. And, you know, maybe at this point, uh, we ought to go in the direction of the times that my life has been saved and preserved uh, and how different angels and the three Nephites have been instrumental in saving my life, you know. Well, let's before, before do, I would love to hear that. Before we do that, um, by having this experience, did you become a marked man? In other words, did, uh, when we read about Joseph Smith praying to know which church he should join in 1820, suddenly Satan's trying to destroy him before he even gets an answer. And then he's harassed uh, for years as he tells his story to family members who I'm sure repeated it. And then suddenly he's he's kind of a pariah in the community and suffers a lot did you feel like you were kind of uh marked that way uh, since then why you, you're having to have your life saved oh definitely and there's an experience that i uh, i don't share very often and uh, some people have told me not to share it but lucifer came to me within a few months of this experience and he offered me everything in this world and showed me all that he could give me to work with him instead of work with Heavenly Father, uh, whether it was the cars and the money and the girls and everything. And then I saw how you get and gain these things by oppressing others, taking the power away from them, even to the point of taking their lives and stuff in commitment in exchange for the things that Lucifer offered, then you had to take away from others. And I I could not do it. I mourned and I cried. I, I finally went to Heavenly Father with such a broken heart and didn't know who else but my Heavenly Father to ask. And uh, he said, Sean, you've been through a terrible thing. You've got to commit to me right now that you're going to read your scriptures every morning to go through this. And you've got to spend so much time on your own to feed your spirit back again, to recharge yourself, to get yourself back in this light away from this. And uh, I, I've never felt anything so crazy as what Lucifer offered me and how wow. he was there. But I've had many experiences past that time where um I have had them really try to destroy me through different things and how important it was that I keep my light up and I keep fed with 
good things because when it gets dim and they're threatening me, it's usually because I've gotten weak and not doing something that feeds light into me positively. So service can fill, fill, fill us with light. Uh, reading the scriptures can fill us with light. And that's why the Lord wants us to read the scriptures on a regular basis. There's many, many good authors that will help us to understand deeper concepts and things. In fact, after that experience, I at that time, there was a Deseret Book Club of the Month, and I joined it. And for several years, I would get a new book every month and buy extra ones that I read and read and read. Amazing experience. It was kind of like going away from the Lewis Lamar stuff that I was reading, and I love the Westerns, and I love the stories of the West, and going to these other stories and this feeding on this knowledge that way. Mm. Great. Um, I want to read to you an excerpt. Uh, this is, as I mentioned, I'd like to find completely independent witnesses to each of these principles. And one of them is that the good and the bad come together. Uh, sometimes the bad come first and then we get the good or we get the good. And then we're Satan is given a little bit longer leash to, uh, uh, to try and tempt us. And, uh, in the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, when it says that, you know, Satan, after his, uh, let's see, after Jesus was baptized, it says, and after he fasted, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But Joseph Smith corrected that and says, no, he went into the desert to commune with God, and Satan followed after him, uh, basically. That's not an exact quote, but it says that he was led by the Spirit to go to the, to go to the wilderness and to commune with God, and then Satan comes knocking. And this happens a lot. We even see this pattern in the temple where Adam and Eve are uh, set, sent into the lone and dreary world, and then Satan comes along trying to get them to worship him. So my uh, uh, Alfred Douglas Young, if you don't mind me just interjecting here real quickly, sure. it says, uh, during my, this is after his vision, during my journey, Satan was made manifest to me. I did not see his person, but felt his presence and power. He brought forward every conceivable argument to induce me to deny having had any visions from God, that I had not seen a vision, but had been deceived. And if I persisted in testifying but uh, that I had seen a vision, etc., I would certainly go to hell. He continued to work on me after my arrival home, almost constantly day and night, until I was nearly unfit for work excuse me, for labor and could scarcely eat. I often retired and attempted to pray in secret, but had not power to open my mouth. The pressure on my mind and body became terrible to bear. I had a shop in which was a turning lathe. I went into it to do a job of turning. As I started the lathe and picked up my turning chisel, Satan came on me with such power that it seemed as though he would crush my soul and body into the earth. In my agony, I dropped my chisel and leaned over on the workbench, which was standing near, and for the first time, I had power to open my mouth in supplication. I cried, O oh Lord, must I give up to the power of the adversary? Immediately, I heard a voice from my over my head, which said, as one man talks to another, if you now deny what has been revealed to you, you shall have your portion where the beast and the false prophet are. I replied, O oh Lord, I will bear the testimony of the truth of these things from this time forth and forever. At this, the load which I had carried for 
12 or 14 days were lifted off me and Satan departed from me. Now, this was a specific test for Alfred because later on he was challenged even by members of his own church that what he had had happened to him and the miracles that they performed because of the faith they then had were called into question, but he would not back down from his testimony. He never would deny that the stuff that he did came from God. And so this was, I think, a specific test for him. And do you find that your test with what Satan was offering you was uh, specifically related to you? Definitely. There's, I've grown to learn a pattern of how he works. And one is that he, he tests you right before you're about to receive a blessing, right before something's about to break through in your life, something that will help you go forward and stuff. You'll be tested to see if you're really worthy to receive that or not. And so you get close and you know about this and all of a sudden you have this roadblock or something comes in and you want to just cuss and swear because like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And the other pattern is that after you're given a blessing from heavenly father to go forward in your life or given a new uh, commitment with heavenly father, that you'll go through a darkness and this darkness with Lucifer is to test you to see if you really will stay true to our heavenly father and what he's asked you to do on your part of the covenant or your part of the commitment. Um, And if you, one of the things is to, to know Lucifer. Uh, There's an old saying by, um, oh, that Chinese, uh, his name, Sun, Tao Sun, He says to know yourself is to know your enemy and back and forth. Mm. But I'm sorry that I'm messing this up, but is that the art of war? Yes. The art of war. Yeah. And how that if we really know ourselves and kind of know our adversary, we can win a thousand battles. And that's so true here on this earth experience. And once we understand the pattern of how he tempts us and how he works us, it's so much easier, but Lucifer himself is a beautiful man when he wants to be, and when he's not bad, when he's trying to convince you of something very slim, trim, uh, beautiful features of veins on his hand, just very clear of his body. He would be a catch to anybody. And uh, his words are so smooth. Does he, he speaks? I, go ahead, please keep going. He speaks so smoothly and uh, has great power over words. So it's easy to be deceived and want to think what he's saying is true. Does he really believe what he's selling? That's what I want to know. Does he really believe that he can circumvent agency? and force everybody to be good. And of course, now he's trying to prove that we're wrong. I, I have felt that what you said earlier, he's trying to show us you guys made the wrong choice and you're going to pay for it. But what I wonder is, does he really believe what he's selling? He does believe that he can overthrow his father because he's skipped out on learning. He skipped out on part of the knowledge that the rest of us had. He didn't want to go to all the learning that we did too. He wanted to skip from one point to another point and have power and dominion. So he doesn't completely understand everything. Um, 
And that's why he still thinks he can. But it's almost like right now, as we approach the end of somebody fighting for their life and it, when they're fighting for their life, I mean, you look at a, a lion or a tiger cornered against a cliff with small dogs and all these dogs around them, and they know they're going to die and everything. They'll still lash out with fury and, and things just to try to instinctively save their life. And that's the pattern that we're seeing now with Lucifer is this anger striking out with his people, knowing they're about to be crushed and fighting for their life. Well, we're going to get into this in great detail because Revelation 12 is kind of, well, it's 12, 13, and 14 in the book of Revelation. You have a plan, a sign in the heavens, a woman gives birth, the woman is the church, the child is the kingdom of our God and his Christ. And then you have this uh, uh, war in heaven with Michael and the third of the hosts that leave heaven. And then there's this battle and a struggle. And I don't think, at least in my mind, in the mind of many people that I associate with, there's no doubt that Satan is trying to set up a kingdom on the earth today. And I'm not talking about a tiny kingdom hidden in some, you know, blackened out church in San Francisco or some other city or country. We're talking about an organized effort. It's out there. It's being um, mimicked by artists. It's being bantied about by um, thought leaders in the world today. There's no doubt that there's a push to do this. And what Revelation 12 reveals is it's going to come out in its full glory like this at a time when the Lord is trying to establish his kingdom, as described in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And it's interesting, I think that maybe the Lord is letting Satan have a little bit of a lead time on it, and we can see the ugliness of what it is going to produce compared to what God has planned for us uh, as we near, you know, the uh, second coming. And with my memories of the pre-existence and everything, the things that we're going through now are an exact mirror of what we went through in the pre-existence as we approach the end and we approach things and how things escalated. But he truly believes that if he can get enough to give them, the, give our agency to him that he can convince or take power and have his own kingdom that way, but he's got to convince enough. And the whole challenge is that, he cannot take things away from us. We have to give them to him. So we have to give our agency and our choices to him. And how he does that is by fear and us giving up. Then he takes away our power and we let him be in charge. And if he can get enough of people to give up their agency and just turn it over to him, then he feels like he can rule this earth and that there's no need for Christ to come back because he has everybody contained i've heard people Nobody say that they've i've heard people say that they they've turned to satan when they felt completely powerless like in a in an abusive situation uh i've heard women describe you know uh being sexually abused or molested or physically abused mentally or abused and they went for the low-hanging fruit they went for you know satan and people that are satanic and follow him showing some type of love and support and they found some level of uh 
of power to um, fight back uh, other evil forces. And I've heard the same people who say that they did that initially realize that that wasn't the right power to turn to, that it was God and Jesus Christ. And for those people, I want to say that Satan never has you 100%. You can, uh, you can exercise agency and break free of that. For those that are doing it voluntarily, they're being deceived. They're being, uh, like you said, it's the easy path. There is power in the adversary. He's not powerless. He has power in priesthoods that he uh, that are on the dark side, and they're real. And there's no need to get into that stuff, but it's nothing compared to the light uh, and the power that uh, Jesus Christ and God the Father have. And you're right. I, I have felt for a long time, reading Revelation 12, that there is a reenactment or a continuation of the war in heaven that we read about. And Revelation 12 kind of combines the imagery of the past, but all things spiritual are also physical. And I do agree with you that it's been my impression that the war in heaven was not a settled matter. It was pushed out onto the earth, and Satan, as Revelation 12 talks about, and then the third that followed him were cast out to this earth. And they are allowed... There's no other way to say it because there's still agency for good and evil. Otherwise, there's no agency if there wasn't any evil. But that whole scenario that occurred in the spiritual realms is being literally played out on the earth today. Absolutely. And that's what, uh, Revel and, and the pinnacle of it real quick is Revelation 13, I believe, when he does gain power for a time through the false prophet and the beast. And then Revelation 14, the wheels come off that whole thing. Yeah. One thing I have studied, many people that have been involved in satanic cults and worshiped through Satan and then gotten out of it and listened to their experiences as well as like prisoner of war experiences and sexual abuse cases and stuff. And there seems to be at always a turning point in their the most interesting thing is the ones that right now that have come out of ritualistic or satanic abuse and getting power through dominion and everything. And there's so many that are abused in that. And they believe that the way to be free of the abuse and free of these things and have control is through Luciferianism or Satanism. And that the promises given there will give them power over their abuser and then so many times the thing that breaks them is when somebody Christ-like gives them a hug or talks to them kindly and they have no power against this and they've never felt such love and uh, things because of this pure essence of us acting like Christ and being concerned and loved and it just shatters everything they've learned and they go, I don't want this anymore. It's so interesting wow. to me that there's this point and this radiation of Christ's love that just shatters all this. Wow. So, we need to remember that. To one, one lady that had come out of this and she'd worked herself up. She was going to be a high priestess with her husband and doing things. And I won't go into detail. It was terrible what they had to go through to get to this highest level. 
and they ran they were signed to go to this uh church and to destroy this preacher and they had patterns and means that they were going to get the church fighting and get the preacher kicked out and so forth but this preacher sat down with them and began to talk with them and expressed his love to this lady and what she meant to our heavenly father and she said i was powerless and i had no more desire to do evil and he, she says you christians I've got a gold mine. You've got all this power and everything, and you act like you're paupers, like you have nothing, and yet you have all this power that you don't exercise or you don't use. You take it for granted. Really it reminds me of that phrase in the that scripture in the Book of Mormon that says that uh, there were, I think it was Alma the Younger, who was both the chief priest as well as the the, uh, the head political leader and had to choose which to do am i going to be a political leader or am i going to go out and preach the word and it, it says that he chose the word because the word was more powerful than the sword we do not appreciate how much that is true i often think of him and here he has a paying job as a judge and as a political leader and he walks away with nothing, just relying on the Lord to feed him and to visit with other people and how much he loves talking with people and sharing the gospel. And yet he has nothing, you know, at that point to just what's left of the salary he had as a chief judge. And it's probably what his uh, followers and the, and the Jewish people could understand about Jesus Christ. They wanted a political solution to the Roman occupation and what he was offering, just like the woman at the well, he told her what the, the water that I offer, you'll never thirst. I mean, that's a game changer. What, what changes the minds of a political leader or a political structure is that is the, is the love and the truth that is embodied in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I love the chosen series for bringing things back to earth and everything. And I, I love how those apostles, even Simon had this, was really a good fisherman and he had a nice house above others. And he walked away from all of that, had his name changed and became this rock of everything. But how many of those men in the Bible stories and everything walked away from everything they had because of that feeling of love and helping others? There was something magnetic about him that did draw people to him that they would, uh, in a moment, cast aside their nets and follow him from that day forward. And he did it over and over again. Um, yeah. I'm reminded of uh, some other near-death experiences, if I could just uh, say this one real quick. I've, I've heard many experiences, read many experiences where people went to that, went to a place, I don't know if it was spirit prison, but it was a place of torment. And uh, they were there were people there was there were people uh, gnashing their teeth on them. There were people who were speaking horrible things about what terrible people they were. Reminds me of what you were feeling about yourself. Very satanic, uh, dark thoughts uh, that were not that were worthless. And in every instance, if a person could just remember one thing about Jesus Christ, I heard a, I remembered a song. 
I, I remember my dad said something. And then, of course, Alma the Younger says that too. I remember the preaching of my father. And then I called on Jesus in Alma chapter 36. But each of these people who describe it, it was entirely consistent with Alma the Younger's experience. They just like remembered one little thing. If they'd had any Christian exposure at all to Jesus Christ, they were allowed to think that thought. And as soon as they got a hold of that, they it was like a hand reached down through the darkness and pulled them out of that situation every single time. The actually there was one person that was a little bit delay. Delay. It was a woman who um, had uh, had been religious and had ignored her vows. She was of another church and and uh, had had known better. Let's say. And it took a little longer for her before somebody would come and help her. Other than that, though, people who knew very little of Christ, if they could just remember one thing, like a, a Christmas hymn or a something, and then they would, they would, it would pull them out of it immediately. Yeah, I've listened to several other near-death experiences, especially since I've spoken on some radio shows and in different places to hear others. And I've heard of these stories and there. I call it the bottomless pit. And that's usually where I hear the weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth that is kind of like another level down. And that's where those third live that uh, have worked with Lucifer and stuff. And like you say, if they could, as soon as they are down in that and their near-death experience and surrounded by these people doing mean things to them and tormenting them, if they have that one thought of Christ-like things, they are lifted and pulled out of that and back out to be taught or to feel the Savior's love and how it dramatically turns their life around. Just unreal. Well, I've, I've read many accounts of people. It doesn't matter what their faith. These are people who don't have the NDE, people who live on the earth who, you know, get to that point where they have that sinner. They call it the sinner's prayer. And I'm going to bring somebody on here who's a very famous uh, in the Latino community. And you can hear her story and how going to a revival about Jesus, uh, I think it was in California, invited by a friend, completely turned her world upside down to where she was going from a life of desperation and depression because she'd been so famous into a person, a Christian person who you just spills over. You can't even believe the change. And I knew her before, I knew her after, and it was a remarkable, remarkable change. Um, I'm thinking, Sean, that, uh, well, let me ask this question. I think we should maybe close it out for now. But my question is, uh, for future uh, interviews, were there things that you either saw in your out-of-body experience or in your subsequent later experiences that um, can help enlighten us about what's going to happen in the last days? Yeah, most definitely. Now, I've been told that I can't speak about dates or times or anything, but I definitely saw a sequence of events and have began studying on my own to compare it to scripture to kind of help myself feel like I wasn't crazy, like there's others speaking the same thing. And so, yes, I'd love to compare other stories and even compare the scriptures to some of the things that I've seen. But the, the one thing that I keep seeing over and over again is that our experiences, whoever's given it for the days ahead of us, is 
to that individual and where they are standing that what we're seeing here in the United States may not look like this in South America, and it may not look like this in China for where somebody's standing there or the type of service that a person is doing during those last days because there's such a mirage of different ways to serve one another. And so the experiences are all a little bit different as they take on roles of service and helping in those times. I've had the impression, for example, that the book of Isaiah is really dealing with, although there are global issues involved, it's really talking to the house of Israel about from the time that they were going to be um, banished and destroyed and taken away by both the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and then their recovery from that. Um, and so, yeah, you get a, you do have a lot of touching on a lot of things pertaining to the house of Israel in the last days, but it may not, like you say, describe every event in every single uh place on the globe the yeah the pattern Did i say that right that we, yes and the, the pattern i believe though you know whether it be in the scriptures whether it be isaiah whether it be the book of revelations or daniel or malachi or something that if we can understand the pattern that's what's going to save us or help us to find our own place in the days ahead and and how we can best serve and how we can best help our neighbor in finding that right so um well there are definitely huge common themes uh there are definite patterns um i i'm looking so forward to your insight and uh what we'll do again is we will turn to these books, turn to these other written accounts in the scriptures and elsewhere that appear to be reliable and and uh, conform to other accounts so that we look at, you know, pretty solid um, references and then discuss your your observations of those and uh, give a maybe a fresh perspective or additional insight. Uh, wonderful. I, okay. Did you have anything else you wanted to say in closing? No, I just appreciate you letting me have some time to share, and hopefully we've helped some others and given some others some hope today and courage. Well, I want to say one thing in closing myself, and that is that I met Sean uh, just a few years ago, not long, maybe four or five years now it's been, and uh, we were at a, a conference. Uh, my wife wanted to go to a conference, invited by a friend. It was up in Salt Lake City. I think it was called Eternal Core. And I decided to go. We were sitting at a, at a round table and Sean walked over with his wife and said, um, you look familiar. And then we began to talk and I, my wife spoke more to them than I did. And I said to her after, I said, we got to track those people down there. There's something that's attractive about them that I'd like to get to know them more. So she ran down and got a hold of Carol and and uh, now it's been a friendship that has gone on for uh, uh, a few years. And I can tell you, um, this is uh, unsolicited, okay? <laughs> Sean and Carol are some of the most Christ-like people that we have ever met. Their lives are full of service. And I know there's been a lot of suffering, as I have noticed with most of these NDE experiences, 
people that have these, they have health issues, they have struggles, they have challenges. So there's a big price they pay for the knowledge that they gain. And I'm grateful that uh, Sean has been willing for all these years to maintain this friendship, number one, and number two, to share his insights. And uh, it just seemed like it was the right time to bring him uh, into the fold of our listeners. And if you have questions that you want to have answered, and he feels like he can answer them, you can send a, an email to me. Uh, the email would be myvisionofzion at gmail.com. And I'll check that and we'll get Sean back here very soon. All right. Thanks again, I, Sean. Thank you. And there is a book talking about some of the things we did on Amazon called True Connection. But in the future podcast, we're going to go up and beyond this book in experiences. So, yeah, that book, True Connection, was the book that Sean handed to us at that seminar or at that uh, conference. And uh, let me tell you what. Uh, no one is more um, willing to bear his, his uh, soul, warts and all, than Sean and Carol did in that book. Um, he's not hiding anything about his struggles. Even after the, his near-death experience, there were still struggles. And he goes into great detail about that. So he's, uh, he's out there and uh, exposed. And the whole reason is why, Sean? Why are you doing this? Why are you exposing all of your uh, past uh, um, sins and failings? Why would a person subject themselves to that? As I really believe it'll help others to come out and to know that they can also go through pain and come out and feel glory and feel loved and connection. So that's been my whole life purpose to increase people's faith, courage, and hope as I left the savior in those words the most common thing that i have w witnessed among near-death experience uh, witnesses is the desire to heal other people that's been the number one trait that i have noticed and that's certainly what you're yeah. trying to accomplish okay folks well yeah. thanks for listening in to this special uh, edition of vision of zion and sean we look forward to having you on again real soon Thank you. Bye. Thank you.